This morning, if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Well, we still got one going. Bye, Miranda. <laughs> Bye. There she goes. Matthew chapter 6. Our numbers are small today, but we are still here in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So I'm grateful that you are here worshiping today. I'm grateful that uh, you call Sovereign Grace home. Um, bye. <laughs> um, we have our, a quiver full of arrows in our church, don't we? Uh, you know, that's the ter- term in Scripture. Our quiver is full when we have a lot of kids. And that is nothing uh, to see as... We, we don't see our children as a burden here, do we? We actually see our children as a precious gift um, and I'm grateful that even the children who are still in this service, I'm grateful that you guys are here. We've always said this from the beginning of our time together as a church years ago, uh, that children can learn from a sermon more than we give them credit for. And so I never, never regret having children in the service. You guys are awesome. And parents who are teaching their children and having them here under the teaching of God's Word, that's a blessing as well. We're going to continue our time in Matthew's Gospel here in Matthew chapter 6. And let me preface our sermon today with uh, what's coming after this. As I've been praying and thinking through chapter 6, it looks like this is going to be a longer study about prayer than we often give energy to. For these next several weeks... This is going to be God speaking to us through His Word about the importance of prayer. And we're going to be learning from Jesus Himself exactly what genuine prayer looks like. And I don't know about you, but uh, there are times where I struggle with prayer. And, and this is just the pastor being honest with you, okay? Uh, pastors can struggle with prayer too. And whenever we struggle in prayer, it's always helpful to go back to God's Word to understand the value of prayer, God's design for prayer, the understanding of prayer from God Himself. Exactly what does prayer do? What does prayer mean? And this is what I think Jesus is explaining here in this section of His Sermon on the Mount. He goes into a a, a more extended understanding of prayer here than what uh, many realize. And so for the next several weeks, I want us to really focus on what prayer is, especially when we come to uh, the Lord's Prayer in verses 9 through 13. I want us to take that section particularly and not just skim over it. I want us to really unpack here what is it that God is telling us in giving us a form, a framework by which to hang our prayers and so my, my call to you, my, my plea to you, is that you would take Matthew chapter 6 at home and meditate and pray over just this one chapter for about the next three to four weeks. Has anybody ever done that? Take one section of, of Scripture, and that's all you read and meditate for days or weeks on end. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that discipline. And I think right now for us as a church, one of the areas in our church that I have been fervently praying about is this area of prayer. Are we as a church dedicated to prayer? 
are we as a church body serious about prayer? And I want us to understand here in Matthew chapter 6 the, the, the gravity of what prayer is and also the joy that comes from it. The reward, because Jesus uses a, a, word, a phrase here repeatedly. Four times in chapter 6 alone, he uses the idea, and your Father will reward you. There's a reward in prayer. So if you could stand with me and let us read God's Word together. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. These are the words of our Savior Jesus Christ as He continues to teach on the Sermon on the Mount. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, now as we listen to the words of your Son, Jesus Christ, as He is teaching here, He's teaching about prayer. And at this moment, we are praying to you. And I pray, God, that this morning you would allow your Spirit just to settle in this place, that as we listen to your word, that we would hear you clearly, that as we respond to you from the word, that you would honor us by hearing our prayer. Lord, we fail you in not coming to you in prayer. We feel like we can deal with our problems on our own. We feel like we are in control of our lives, and then we just don't have the time to pray. And so then when we do pray, Father, oftentimes it's either a pattern, a ritual, or it is we really don't have the faith that you'll hear us. And so we just passively act in prayer. And so God, I pray that you would teach us in your word the value of coming to you in prayer. Teach us the value of depending on you in prayer. And Lord, let this time be for your glory. Please shape, shape us and change us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. If you remember last week, as we began Matthew chapter 6, Jesus kind of lays the groundwork here in contrast between those who are righteous and those who are hypocrites. Right? Being a hypocrite is, uh, is an idea that comes directly from theater, is the idea of performance, becoming someone else, putting on a facade. And of course, Jesus in verses 1 through 4 makes it real clear that when you're practicing charity, it's not a performance, if you remember that. Same theme here now segues into the idea of prayer. Let's not forget that Jesus is confronting 
the idea of performance as he now talks about prayer. Verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. That one verse, verse 5, as I'm reading that, I really have to ask myself, do we even see that level of prayer anymore? I've been in in some old-time hellfire and brimstone, old-fashioned gospel churches over the years. Where you do see that. Okay. But do we even see that level of prayer in our churches anymore? Where people are willing to stand in public and pray. Now in this context in verse 5, clearly Jesus is condemning the idea of standing in the synagogues to pray for the purpose of being seen. But you know, we don't even have that fire anymore just to stand up and be seen to pray anymore, do we? We don't even want to be seen by God in our prayers, I'm afraid. So let's understand here what Jesus is condemning, okay? Just as the religious elite in, in the previous verses would seek public recognition when they give money or they do charity, they, they want to do the same thing in prayer. In other words, the idea of being seen in prayer. I think what it is in the church, we have taken this text, and I think in, in some ways, rightly so, we've become very reserved in our passion for prayer out of fear that we're going to be performing and not really praying. We don't want to pray because we don't want to fall into what Jesus is condemning. Jesus con- what Jesus is doing here is he's contrasting the difference between the showmanship of the prideful heart with the humility of the righteous heart. Humility of the righteous heart is genuine, and humility of the righteous heart is what God is calling for. But let's make sure that we don't fall into the trap of our humility keeping us from coming to God out of fear that we might fall into a performance. You see, what keeps us from genuine prayer? What what keeps us from genuinely coming to God? I think all of us can agree in this congregation especially that we are, the state of our human heart is what we like to use the term depravity. It's not a big word that's out there, but depravity. The idea that our human heart is so different from God and so isolated from God and so opposed to God that we can't come into His presence. That's, that's what the idea of sinful depravity means. We as human beings are so sinful because we carry the sin of Adam that we cannot be in God's presence. Let's understand that. So what keeps us from prayer, I think, begins there. The, depra- the, the state of our depravity keeps us from praying at all. The state of our sinfulness keeps us from coming into God's presence because Fundamentally, we know that we're not allowed in God's presence. If we came into the holiness of God's presence, what would happen? (laughs) God made it clear to Moses, if if you saw my face, you would die. That's a reality. And so let's understand that fundamentally what keeps us from prayer is this sin that makes up who we are. Now, Matthew's gospel here kind of really helps us understand. I want to bring here a very important point here in verse 5 as well. 
When Jesus is condemning the hypocrites who stand and pray in the synagogues, they were doing the same thing that they were doing out when they were giving charity. They would, they would arrange performance for their prayers, both in the synagogues and on the street corners. And Jesus is just like, uh, when he condemns them for blowing their trumpet in verse two, here as they, in verse five, as they pray, he brings out a point. Here's why it's condemned. At the end of verse 5, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. There is a reward in prayer. And Jesus is making a very important point. Even false prayer has its own reward. But he's pointing out here in verse 5, it's a reward that you don't want. False prayer, performance prayer, brings a reward, just like Genuine prayer brings a reward, but Jesus is pointing out here in this text from verses 5 through 8 the difference in the reward. False prayer has a reward for the self. Oh, I, oh, look how righteous I am. <laughs> oh, I have prayed to God. Okay, thank you, God, for letting me pray to you today. Um, right? Am, am I not just holy, Lord? How many of us have fallen into that sin? Okay, God, I prayed today. Pat me on the back. How many of us have fallen into that trap? Jesus is cautioning us here in verse 5, if we pray with that attitude, we've received a reward, all right. But what reward have we received? It's our own selfish, prideful reward. And pride is the root of sin. And pride is that which keeps us from genuine prayer. So what Jesus is teaching here is that there's a proper attitude that comes in prayer. There's a proper attitude that comes from the right understanding of prayer. And clearly here in verse 5, he's pointing out that the hypocrites and the religious elite had the wrong attitude about prayer. They didn't have a right understanding of prayer. Now, how do we understand prayer? Let's take a look at the Psalms, because the Psalms have much to say about prayer. Because the Psalms are poetic but they were songs of prayer, right? In Psalm 145, if you're taking notes, Psalm 145, verses 17 through 19, we read this. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desires who, of those who fear Him, he also hears their cry and saves them. What is it when God hears the cry of the righteous? What is that? When we cry out to the Lord, that's a prayer. And the Psalms here, Psalm 145, I think, points out a very important point. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in a specific way. They call on Him in truth. And He fulfills the desires of those who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. Desire is also a major attribute of prayer. We come to God with our desires. And He actually wants us to do that. He hears our cry and He saves us. That's Psalm 145. If we go to Psalm 34, that's, this was, uh, Psalm 34 was part of our call to worship, not just this week, but last week as well. But Psalm 34, if you really want to do a personal study on the meaning of prayer, Psalm 34 is rich in how God reacts and responds to prayer. And so this is how we can understand more of righteous prayer. 
Psalm, uh, Psalm 34, verse 4, David writes, I sought the Lord and He answered me and He delivered me from all my fears. I think that right there is a great example in Scripture that the righteous in Christ who call on Him in truth can actually gain God's attention. Okay? It's not, I don't think that God is sitting back passively asleep waiting for us to wake Him up. I think that's a false idea. But I do firmly believe that even though God is sovereign and God foreknows all things, I think He can also, we can also grab His attention and have a a genuine plea. The righteous can gain God's attention when we seek Him in truth and He will answer that genuine cry to God. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 34, verse 4. Now if you drop down to Psalm 34, verse 15, we also know who is it that God listens to. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. So I think the first thing we need to understand about righteous prayer, the the first thing we need to understand about genuine prayer is that it requires a righteous heart. Now, we also know that a righteous heart is nothing that we can manufacture on our own. Would we agree? It is through God's salvation and His sovereignty alone that He makes us righteous. He counts us as righteous as Jesus Christ is righteous. That's something that we do not do for ourselves. So the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and He hears our cry. So if you are righteous in the Lord, if if God has redeemed you through the blood of Christ, and you are seen as righteous through that blood, We are assured that when we cry out to God, it is not an empty cry. We are assured in Scripture that God will listen to the righteous. Now one thing, that this is a common theme in Psalms, the nature of the righteous is the response from God, is God. So God responds to those who are righteous. It is the righteous that He hears, and it is the righteous who He replies to. Now, the one thing to think about, too, is when we're crying out to God, one thing that the righteous clearly understand is that God is not only close, but God is also distant. And there is there's a a long-standing tradition in the church where prayer is with hands raised. How many of us even do that anymore? Because we're afraid of being too showy. We're afraid in Matthew chapter 5, I'm sorry, Matthew Matthew chapter 6 verse 5, that we'll be too performance. We don't want to raise our hands anymore. Now, I'm not saying that if you don't raise your hands, you're not praying. What I'm saying is sometimes our attitude toward prayer is perhaps so reverent, and there is an attitude and posture of prayer of reverence as well, where we fold our hands, bow our heads. That's very appropriate as well. But there's also an appropriate raising of the hands in prayer as a reminder of our distance from God. Because where do prayers go? Where are prayers sent? Prayers are not sent just here on the inside. 
Prayers, even though God meets us in the inner self, God, God, when He saves us, He meets us inside of our inner man and changes us. But God is also distant at the same time. He's everywhere. And so when our prayers are coming, it's not just an internal prayer, it's also an outward expression of prayer. And so when we're raising our hands in prayer to God, that is a reminder that our prayers are going forth, that our prayers are going out. More importantly, our prayers are going up. Amen? Our cries go up to God. So let's not forget that. Let's look here at Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. Let's move on. Here's where Jesus is now instructing the proper attitude of prayer. Now, when we look at verses 6 and 7, there are some practical teachings here from Jesus about prayer. There are some practical aspects. But I want to focus here on what is the attitude that Jesus is telling us here in Matthew chapter 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is one verse that I would encourage all of us in this room to take to heart. And I would ask you personally, do you even have a place where you can meet God privately? That's a valuable discipline in the faith. Jesus is making a very clear directive here. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door. He's calling for a secret engagement with God the Father when we're praying. So what does this look like? What does this mean? What he's doing here in verse 6, he's contrasting in verse 6 what was happening in verse 5. Remember, verse 5 was this public performance of prayer. In contrast to that, he says, don't go there, but go into a secret audience with the Lord. Because what was happening in verse 5, those who were praying in the synagogues and praying on the street corners, who was their audience? The crowds. They were praying to an audience of people, a performance. When, a, when, a, when an actor, a thespian, is performing, they're performing to the audience. And Jesus is saying here, in contrast, let your audience of prayer be between you and God alone. Because God alone is the audience of your prayers. That's what he's saying here in verse 6. When we are praying, we're praying to someone. Not to ourselves. Not to the crowd. Not to some false idol. Who are we praying to? We're praying directly to the God Almighty, the, the creator of all. He is the audience alone of who we are praying to. We cannot forget that in prayer. So the call to pray in verse 6, to pray in your room, this implies an inner room of the home. This is why, this is a good discipline. I would encourage you to find a space in your home that you can say, when I am in this space, this is me and God. There's something valuable of finding a space that when you walk into that space or sit down in that chair, your mind is automatically in the mindset, God is meeting me here. 
There's something valuable to that. And what Jesus is saying here in verse 6, this when he says to go into your room or to your inner room, it implies this, the inner room of a house. And the tradition here of the day was that there was usually a room in the house that was the most interior room of the structure, where and it was the most protected room from the outside. This is the type of room that Jesus is talking about. These inner rooms were placed there, and, and, and you would put in these rooms your most precious valuables. They would be in the innermost part of your house to protect them from thieves. If somebody were to break into your house, they'd have to go a long way to get to this inner room, to get to the treasure, your valuables. You would have a room for that. And so what Jesus is saying here is go to that type of a room because that's where it's your treasure is. The idea is to pray in the most private place possible because genuine prayer is the greatest of treasures. Your time with the Lord is more valuable than anything else you've got. So that's what Jesus means here in verse 6 about go into your room and shut the door. It's a specific room. It's a room that was designed and reserved for your valuables. Go into that room because God is there. Make it a place where the most precious time that you have, the most precious heartfelt prayers that you give are given to the most precious Savior and the most precious Creator we've got. You see the idea here? The point here is less to do with the location of prayer and more to do with the attitude of prayer. It's less about the form of prayer, and more about your desire and your attitude toward prayer. See prayer and that time with the Lord as the most precious. Don't be frivolous in your words to the Lord. Don't be frivolous in performance. Allow that time with God to be the most valuable thing you've got. And trust your relationship with the Lord is the most valuable thing there is. Now, there's two things that are necessary when we're praying to the, to the Father here. One, because think about this. When we're praying to the Lord, we saw in the Psalms that who is it that God hears? He hears the righteous. He responds to the righteous. Even those who are not righteous, those who are unsaved, I'll say this. We see this in Scripture pretty clearly. That's a different teaching. We can go into that. Those who are not righteous those who are not redeemed, the only prayer that God hears from them is the prayer of repentance. Those who are not righteous are not going to have a prayer answered of, dear Lord, give me a job. Because they've not been redeemed yet. The first prayer, the only prayer that God will hear is that of genuine repentance and calling upon the Lord to forgive them and to save them. That's the first step into salvation. So, two things that are necessary for genuine prayer with the Father. The first thing is repentance. And the next thing is faith. The two work hand in hand. Repentance and faith are necessary here for good prayer. And we're going to see this in contrast here with what Jesus is teaching here in verses 5 through 8. Flip over to uh, the book of Romans with me quickly. The book of Romans, Paul, the Apostle Paul helps us see this. Romans chapter 8 first. Romans chapter 8 first. We see uh, Paul helps us understand the value of prayer, where it comes from and coming to the Lord. Romans chapter 8, 
beginning in verse 26. Talking about prayer. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep in words. How many people have heard that verse before? How many people have ever struggled with how to pray? Amen? This verse right here, Paul is addressing a very important reality. We do not know what to pray. We don't know how to pray. And if we begin that way, verses 26 and 27, we see the issue. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, this one verse has been used in modern understandings of the charismatic movement to justify the speaking and praying of tongues. Let me say this is not what's happening. Can I just lay that out? This is not a passage justifying a prayer language. This is a verse that means something else. When we do not know what to pray, the reason we don't know what to pray or how to pray is because of our sin nature. And in order, in order to connect with the Father, He's the one who helps us understand what words to say, what words to pray, what words to think. The Spirit of God is the one that intercedes for us. And the Spirit does not groan and moan audibly, nor does the Spirit pray some gibberish. What this means here is that the Spirit knows the heart of not only the Father, but the Spirit knows our heart and stirs up within us a groaning of the Spirit toward the Father. It's not that we're given some gibberish prayer language that no one hears or understands or knows. God does not have a special language as we understand language. It's more of a heart connection. It's an attitude connection to the Lord. We don't know what to pray. So we depend on God's Spirit to teach us what to pray, to inspire within us what to pray. That's the first thing I want us to see. Now, flip over to Romans chapter 10, just another page over. Romans chapter 10. Looking at verse 8, talking about salvation, all of chapter 10 is a great chapter to read about the, the foundations of salvation, the reality of salvation, and this leads into prayer of salvation, really. Verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that the Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. These words are not words of our own making. These are words of faith that are given to us and inspired within us from the Holy Spirit. Again, not the word of faith movement where you name it and claim it and make whatever you want manifest in your life. That's a heresy. People take this verse out of context. It's the word of faith in the act of salvation through our prayers of repentance. The word that we're talking about in your mouth 
is also the word in your heart. So where does the word in your heart come from? <laughs> comes from the Spirit. So in other words, to pray, it is the Spirit working in our heart that then manifests in the words that we pray. Let's close out with Romans chapter 10. Drop down to verse 14 through 17. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So the words of repentance come from the Spirit, and likewise the faith that is necessary for salvation comes through the preaching of the Word from the Spirit as well. So these two things, repentance and faith, are necessary for prayer of the righteous, because in order to be righteous, repentance and faith are part of that process. So these words of the Spirit, they form our prayer. And God's Holy Spirit forms His Word in our hearts. And therefore, the words of genuine prayer are from God's Word within our hearts. Genuine prayer, then, is that which God Himself manifests within us. Isn't that amazing? From His Word, from this Word, as we hear the Gospel, as we hear salvation, He works within us, and that's how genuine prayer happens. But we know that this is only through faith that God's grace is imparted upon us. It's only through faith that this word is allowed within us. It is only through repentance that we're even allowed into God's presence. So that's why genuine prayer requires repentance and faith. It requires both. Now, let's close out here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. Let's close this out. Let's understand exactly what Jesus is now addressing. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. Now in, verse, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, he now makes it, he gives it clear. Go into your inner room and pray to the Father in secret, and he'll reward you there. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then, like this. And that, that verse 9 goes into the Lord's Prayer. We'll get into that beginning next week. But when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Now, Jesus is addressing here in this verse a very common practice of pagan religions at the time that, re, that the religious elite of, of the Jewish culture were, were borrowing. Okay? The constant repetition of a prayer by a pagan idol worshiper was necessary since the genuine heart cannot pour up to God or pour out to God something that is false. When you're praying to a false idol, there's nothing genuine there to pray to. So there's no genuine spirit coming through your heart. And so because of that, there, there's the natural progression of repeating a prayer over and over again. Because there's nothing genuine there. Why is it that you repeat a, a prayer? See, a Gentile repeats a prayer or even elements of a prayer because there's no genuine heartfelt want from the deity. That's the thing about genuine prayer too. There has to be a genuine desire or want of God. 
How many of us have ever prayed a passive prayer? Okay, God, well, whatever you think, yeah. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? You don't really have any heart in the prayer. You don't really believe God's going to hear it. You don't really believe that God's going to respond to it. Anybody ever been there, done that? That's what the Gentiles do. That's what the pagans do who pray to false idols because there's nothing true there. They know deep down in their heart that it's not going to get answered. And so the result is, if I just repeat the prayer often enough, maybe something will happen. Right? What Jesus is teaching here in verse 7 is that genuine citizens of the kingdom of heaven know the truth of the one true God. And if we know the truth of the one true God, there's no state of desperation within us when we come into His presence and pray. Because a one, a, a Gentile pagan who's worshiping a false god somehow deep in their heart knows there's something not real here. So if they'll just repeat the words, maybe it'll make sense. How many people have ever done that with a loved one? Uh, if, if, if you just repeat it often enough, maybe they'll hear you. Anybody been guilty of that? How many husbands have been guilty of that from their wives? If they repeat it often enough, maybe the husband will hear them. All right? Been there, done that? Maybe, maybe this is a good, uh, this is a sidetrack. Maybe ladies, if there was a genuine uh, faith that your husband will hear you, maybe there won't be, need to be a repetition of the same thing. Or maybe men, we need to get the cotton out of our ears and, uh, listen. It goes both ways, doesn't it? But it's the same, the point is the same. If we have to repeat something often enough, we know that the person we're talking to is not hearing us, so that's why we want to keep repeating. But if God is faithful and God is true and God is genuine, is God assuring us that He will hear us? There's no need to repeat a prayer repeatedly over and over again with no reason. Now, there's another value, and we can get into that later, of God calling us to constantly badger Him necessarily. That's, and that's a good word. To constantly petition Him in our prayer. That's another thing. Never giving up in prayer is one thing. Constantly repeating a prayer because we know deep in our heart that He won't hear us, that's another issue. In other words, genuine prayer from a citizen of the kingdom, no, the one praying... They feel the truth. Dear God, you will hear me. Dear God, you are hearing me. Dear God, you will respond. Now, the, the, the Christian here who prays with sincerity is going to pray with a heart that is certain. The, 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 prayer, the one in verse 7 who is a pagan, who is not a citizen of the kingdom, is going to pray with a vain uncertainty. Their prayer is really vanity of vanities, as the preacher tells us in Ecclesiastes. It's as if they know it's a vapor. They know somehow that it's empty. That's what Jesus is saying here in verse 7. The Gentiles and the pagans, they have empty prayers, and because they're empty, they have to keep repeating it over and over and over again like a chant, hoping to stir up something. The Christian doesn't need that. The Christian has certainty that God is listening. We have to know here that what is what the difference here is there's a, an issue of genuine trust. A Christian has a genuine trust. That's part of faith. A Gentile has no sense of trust because it's false. 
And the contrast that Jesus is making here in verse 7 is between the sincere love of God of the righteous one and in contrast to the performance of the self-righteous minded, the sinner. One who knows the hope of Christ is the righteous one. The one who only knows the efforts of the self is the pagan. Jesus must here, I think what he's doing, he's, he's pointing out that prayer is an action of sincerity. It's an action of assurance. It's an action of an earnest hunger and desire and thirst for that which God promises to give. It's a hunger and thirst that as we are bringing petitions to the Father in heaven, we are assured and we have a sincere desire that He will hear us and He will answer. The vanity of the self-righteous pagan here shows a lack of sincerity. It also shows that their desires are lacking. So it's imperative here, it's important for us, the righteous in Christ, to really think seriously about the petition that we bring to the Father before we bring it. This is another aspect of prayer I think Jesus is pointing out here. If you go into your inner room and pray to the Father in secret, you're pondering and meditating on what you're praying. If you're out in public in performance prayer and just rattling off gibberish, there's no sincere thought behind what you're bringing to the Lord. So I think it's important that as we are bringing things to the Lord, even before we come to the Lord in prayer, I think it's important, I think Jesus is making a point here, it's important for us to meditate upon and consider the genuine love of God and the genuine desire of this petition before we bring it to Him. But at the same time, we know here in, in verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, Matthew chapter 6, verse 8 can also be misunderstood that we're not supposed to come and bring petitions to the Lord because, well, God already knows what we need before we ask Him, so why ask Him? I mean, that's, that's human logic, and the gospel is not logical. I'm just, can we say amen? <laughs> human logic would say, well, if God already knows what I'm going to ask Him, why bother? But God says, no, it's not about logical reasoning. It's about faith. It's about trusting Come to me with your troubles. Come to me with your desires. Come to me with your passions. And if you're righteous in my son, I'll hear you. See, prayers can be poured out in, in a, into the empty air unless it's accompanied by a genuine faith that God will hear us. And that's really the point here in verse 7 and 8. Jesus is making, this, making it clear that the contrast uh, of genuine prayer from false prayer is that the, the difference is a genuine faith. It's a genuine trust. But we have to remember here that we can be, fall into this, right? Let's not be deceived in believing that only the pagans fall into this trap of Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. Because we can read this and say, well, that's just for the pagans. The pagans do repetition prayer. And if we're not careful as Christians, I think we can fall into the same trap. It's just as likely that we as Christians will fall into this, uh, this habit of repeating a prayer, hoping that God may hear us. This is why it's important that the genuine Christian be cautious when we pray. This is not to say that we should hesitate to pray, but that 
we should approach the throne of God in a way that we've taken ample time to think upon our petition before Him, to weigh its cost or its value, to consider seriously that enormous grace that God is giving us to listen to us and to deliver the answer. Now, that doesn't mean that we ponder our prayer to the point that we give up and don't pray. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying make sure that what you bring to God is not frivolous and you don't really trust that He'll hear you. That's why I think meditating on what we're going to pray about is a good habit. Even as we're meditating on what we're going to pray about, I think we're also praying. But then when we sincerely stop and say, Dear God, hear me. He's hearing our hearts. Because God does not take the prayers of His people lightly. And if God does not take our prayers lightly, I think we giving our petition to God should also be taken seriously. His people should do the same. Believers ought to, I think, guard their hearts against being afraid to come to God. I think we need to guard our hearts against a lack of faith. God's not hearing me, so I'm just going to repeat it over and over and over again. If we know that God is listening, if we know that God is hearing, I think what Jesus is telling us here, there's no need for vain repetition. Now, there may be a need for constant coming back to the Lord as God calls us to continually repeat in faith. But if we're just repeating a prayer because we lack faith, hoping that maybe if I say it often enough, God will hear me, What Jesus is saying here is we're falling short. See what I'm saying? What Jesus is driving home here is this. If we come to God with a prayer, do we genuinely believe that we'll actually hear from Him? If we are genuinely in prayer, do we genuinely believe that God will actually do for us or the person that we're praying for? Do we have that genuine trust that God is hearing and that God will respond? Because if we don't, I think we're going to vainly come back to Him over and over again, hoping that if I repeat it often enough, maybe He'll hear me. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. So what He's driving home here is the point that sincerity of prayer has to take importance over the form of the prayer. The sincerity of the prayer is more important than the form of the prayer. So what I think Jesus is teaching us here is don't merely pray to God for the sake of praying. Instead, come to God with a firm faith that He'll actually hear us. A firm faith that He'll actually respond. He may respond in His own timing. You may be praying the same prayer for 30 years, but God heard you the first time. Instead, we don't, we don't pray repeated prayers for the sake of merely praying. Instead, we pray, we may have to repeat the prayer often, but every time it's with the intent that it will actually happen. It's with the intent that God will reply. That God will actually honor the prayer by listening and responding. Otherwise, the prayer is a vain repetition like the Gentiles do here. I think that's what Jesus is saying. So as... Well, first of all, let me, let me close it with this thought. Are you praying? That's a pastoral question. 
Do you pray? If you claim the name of Christ, if you feel that God has redeemed you and you are certain that you are redeemed and you are saved, do you even practice prayer? And why is it that a pastor has to ask that question? Because we all know that we fail in this area, every one of us. Amen? And I think what Jesus is implying here, and he's, he's making a very important point, Prayer is not something to be taken lightly. It is something that is genuine. It is something that is true. And we as Christians, number one, he's commanding, go into your inner room and pray. Maybe that's the first step. The discipline of prayer. I know our lives are busy. I know our kids drive us crazy. I know our jobs drive us crazy. I know our our spouses drive us crazy. But is there time to pray? Even, I mean, it's good to carve out time and place for prayer. But at the same time, and this is another teaching that will still come in this, there is the attitude of constant prayer as well. But there is, but, but the attitude here that Jesus is presenting is that the attitude of prayer is serious. It's not something casual. It's not something flippant. It's not something that we just check off the box to do when we come into God's presence, because prayer is pouring out and up to God. Maybe raising our hands wouldn't be a bad idea from time to time to remind us of the seriousness of where our prayer is going. Maybe even the humility of being on our knees in prayer wouldn't be a bad habit from time to time to remind us of the sincerity of what we're doing. I think that's a good habit. Amen? I say this, and I'll close with this. Every Sunday morning, I, I, tr- I strive to arrive here by 8 o'clock. This morning, I was about five minutes late. But most mornings, I'm here by 7.30, 7.45-ish. And I'm praying. And I'm praying for you. And I'm praying for the Lord to guide me. And I ask Him, forgive me for the week. And I ask Him to guide me as I'm trying to lead you. And I'm praying for you by name every Sunday morning. Let's pray now. Father God, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. And I thank You, Lord, that Your Son, Jesus Christ, reminds us that prayer is not something to be taken lightly. You call us to pour out our hearts to you. Your word makes it clear that the righteous cry out to their Father. And you are there to listen. And you're there to answer. And so God, this is an act of faith, this coming to you in prayer. And I pray for everyone in this room, and everyone who is listening to this sermon online, that God, that at this moment, you would cause each and every one of us to remind, to, to be reminded of your faith to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And likewise, can we have faith and trust in you and pour out our hearts to you. And I pray, God, that you'd forgive us when we're too busy 
that you would forgive us when we are, when our minds are cluttered with too many distractions. And I pray, God, that you would help us through your spirit to pour into us your spirit and to pour into us even your word to give us motivation, but also desire and even want words to pray when necessary. And so, God, I, I pray that this action of prayer would be something that you would stir within our church, that you would begin with each individual and stir within them, in their hearts, a desire to pray, that you would then stir within the hearts of families to pray together, that you would then stir within the hearts of the church body as a whole to pray together, and that we would come to your throne regularly and seriously and fervently with an attitude of genuine trust. Cause us not to fall into the trap of the pagan idol worshipers who just vainly repeat things over and over again, hoping that someone or something might hear it. Help us to have the confidence that you are listening. Help us to have the confidence that you will respond and love us in our prayers, Lord, we pray. Lord, as we close out this time of worship, I pray that your spirit would be in this room. And that as we sing one final praise song to you, that you would take that as a prayer, but that you would also stir up within us an attitude of prayer to you, and that we would sit in silence when necessary, but verbally speaking when necessary, and that we know that you are here and that you are listening Cause us to be drawn to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Prayer is an act of faith. Amen. It is something that God has given us and commanded us as, a, as an action of the faith. It's an act of faith. It's, it's exercising faith when we pray. Amen.